Let me invite you now to stand and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. And I'm going to read Isaiah 8 verses 11 through 15 to you. And it's really this passage of Scripture is part of the answer to what we just prayed. We prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How did Isaiah stand apart from the culture he was in and lead God's people? How did he walk in the way he should go? How can we walk in the way God has called us to in a, in a culture, in a society where we're surrounded by those who deny God, ignore him, or disobey him? And the answers for us here, how to walk in Isaiah 8, and I'll read verses 11 through 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, help us as your people to be responsive to the way you speak to us today through your word. And may we not just hear your word, but apply it in our lives, all for your glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 2009, an Airbus 320 took off from LaGuardia and shortly after takeoff ran into a flock of birds. And of course, you know what happens uh, lost both engines, and Tom Hanks had to land the plane. I, what are you talking about? I saw the movie. Tom Hanks did a great job landing this plane in the Hudson River. There were no injuries among the 150 people that were on this plane. Of course, it's Captain uh, Chelsea Sullenberger, or Sully, who heroically guided this plane to safety. But the thing I want to point out to you is everyone on that plane heard the safety briefing. And, and you've heard it when you fly on a plane, you hear the safety briefing, where the emergency exits are located. How am I doing? <laughs> Don't smoke in the lavatory. Don't congregate up front. In the unlikely event, we also hear, in the unlikely event of a water evacuation, Where's the life vest? Under your seat, that's right. Under your seat. See, we can give the safety briefing practically. So here's, here's the thing. Of the 150 people who heard that, because you have to hear it by law, seven took their life jackets onto the wing of that aircraft that had crash-landed in the water. Seven people took their life jackets. Seven people listened and were, had 
the wherewithal to grab that life jacket before they went out onto the wing of the aircraft. Here's the thing. Even when there is information that could preserve or save our life, we have a funny way of not hearing it. Of not hearing it. And this morning, there's a challenge to us because God has spoken. It's right here in verse 11. For the Lord spoke. Will we listen? Will we listen and hear what God has to say? Because it may save us for all of eternity. Save and preserve our life. Three times in the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at the transfiguration, God says, this is my beloved son. And you know what follows? Listen to him. So here's the instructions God gives us, and he gives them to Isaiah by extension to us, for how we walk in a culture and a society like Isaiah was, he was surrounded by those who were disobeying God, dismissing God, not following God. That sounds a lot like 2023. And so the instructions that were given to Isaiah, those are for us too, that we would walk in the way God has commanded us. Well, what does that way look like? First point here, sermon outline in your bulletin. There, do not call, sorry, I'm having timer trouble. Okay, we'll just forget that. Now we're in trouble. <laughs> First instruction, do not call, do not fear. Look in verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Now, we need a little interpretation here. Conspiracy, it's different than a conspiracy theory. That's the first thing that we think of here. But a conspiracy is a planned act of rebellion against an authority. And so the word conspiracy here, calling conspiracy is to participate in a rebellion, an act of treason, and here in the context against God. So remember, back to Isaiah 7, the forces of Syria and Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, were combining and conspiring together to resist Assyria. And they were going to make war on the southern kingdom of Israel to try to coerce them into this scheme to deliver themselves from Assyria. And so the invitation here is don't trust in the earthly means the schemes and the way people try to control things and do things to deliver themselves don't go that direction. So if we're going to walk differently, conduct ourselves differently in a God-honoring, God-glorifying way, don't participate in the conspiracy. In other words, trust God for salvation rather than something we can do by ourselves or on our own to try to deliver ourselves. So don't call conspiracy. That's what that means. And as well, look at the end of verse 12. Do not fear what they fear. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Certainly, this was a time in the southern kingdom's life and among God's people where fear was, was high. 
And certainly in 2023, fear is up there. Look at the way people react to things. Fear predisposes us to poor responses to things. And you never make your best decision when you're fearing uh, something. And so God says, Isaiah, if you're going to be separate from the people of Israel who are disobeying me, don't fear what they fear. Well, what do people fear the most these days? Usually it's some kind of physical fear that they have. In other words, fear of death, suffering, sickness, uh, something like this. Uh, we also fear uh, being deprived or we fear that what we've worked hard for will be taken from us. That's a big fear. Will I have enough? That's another fear. Will I have enough money? Will I have enough stamina? These kinds of things to live uh, the good life. Will the good life be taken from me? Uh, these are the kinds of things that are the primary fears in our day. People fear as well dementia or uh, some kind of health crisis that would upset their life. And we're told here that those are not the things we need to fear. Do not fear what they fear or be in dread. So in the face of this pending invasion by Assyria and all that that meant, Isaiah's instructed, don't go their direction. Don't fear what they fear. And certainly there was a lot of fear in that time, because if you look back to chapter 7, verse 2, look at the end of verse 2, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So the trembling or the shaking is a result of the fear, and that's really that dread piece that's at the end of uh, Chapter 8, verse 12, to be in dread is to respond to life or circumstances out of the fear, motivated by the fear. So what's the answer? I mean, think about it for a minute. How am I not going to participate in these earthly means to secure what I want, and how am I going to stand apart from society and culture that has ignored God, forgotten God, disobeyed God, how am I going to not fear what they fear or be in dread? I skipped it in this passage. It's in verse 11. And I love this. For the Lord spoke thus to me. How can Isaiah be this godly person immersed in a culture that has gone off the rails against God this is how the Lord spoke thus to me. And I love this, verse 11, with his strong hand upon me. God was not just speaking. He had his strong hand upon Isaiah. This is not the first time God has spoken in this passage. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again. Chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord said to me, you see, it is the assurance that Isaiah gains from God speaking to him with his strong hand on him. And I love that because I think of a parent standing with a child and, and the parent just puts their hand on the shoulder to steady that child in their moments of fear or anxiety. 
And God does this to Isaiah. How can we be a people who obey God in the all-you-can-eat buffet of crazy that's happening in our world? How? For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. This is God's grace to Isaiah, that God gives Isaiah the means and the strength that he needs to obey God in not calling conspiracy, not participating in ways and schemes to try to uh, get what he wants, but instead to trust God, and then in not fearing what they, they fear. And so the source of peace for Isaiah, when everyone is freaking out, the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon him. Now, does God still speak to us today? Well, let's, let's get a biblical answer for that. Hebrews chapter 1 Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tell us that God is still speaking today. Look at this, Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. God speaks to us through his word. Certainly, he speaks as well through his created order. He speaks to us in the Son, in the Son, his life recorded for us in the gospel, tells us about the character of God, instructs us in the way we should go. Now, a couple points of application here. Many times, we, we sort of play fast and loose with the God speaking to us thing, and you might have picked up on this uh, around in Bernie, Texas, because sometimes people will say, well, God told me. God told me. You know, I was at the pickle aisle at H-E-B, and I was really having trouble picking the pickles, and God, God spoke to me, and I got the correct pickles. And the problem with talking that way is you and I, when someone says, God spoke to me, we are thinking speech requires audible voice. And if you push on the pickle decision and you say, well, how did God speak to you? Did he speak to you with an audible voice? And people are very quick to say, well, it wasn't an audible voice. Hopefully they're quick to say that. Well, it wasn't an audible voice. Well, then we need to clean up our language. The Spirit led me. Uh, God intuitively led me that God can work that way. And what I'm getting at is certainly God speaks to us, but the, importance is to play, the important thing is to place the emphasis on the fact that God has revealed to us in His Word and through the character of his son, and in the created order, he speaks better to us, more accurately to us, than maybe the intuition I have. And so when we talk about, well, God spoke to me in the pickle aisle, we can actually diminish what's going on here in redemptive history. Because see, this says, for the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, 
And then, and then we get a quotation of what was said to him precisely. And so we don't want to diminish what's happening in redemptive history by calling a hunch that we have or an intuition or the leading of the Spirit and equating it with, with this. So we need to be careful that way. Now, the strong hand upon me, verse 11, requires a little interpretation because that's an anthropomorphism. That's a literary device. In other words, it's assigning to God human-like qualities because we know God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So when we talk about his hand, we know that's a figure of speech. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. But what Isaiah is saying is somehow in God speaking to me and perhaps the manner of the speech, it became impressed upon him the power of God. Strong hand upon me. And God still speaks this way to us. And God gave us, I know it's kind of an old saying, but people who talk for a living need to remember this. Two ears, one mouth. We need to listen. This is vital information to us. And when you have a great volume of information coming to you, don't tune it, in, tune it out so much as focus on what God has said. And what has he said that we don't need to fear what they fear and we should not participate in self-protective schemes or employ effort that misplaces our trust or allegiance in God. So we're talking about how do you walk? How do you walk in a way that is separate when you're surrounded by a culture that is disobedient to God? And we've talked about do not call, do not fear. And the basis of that is the Lord speaking, the Lord with his strong hand upon Isaiah. He cares for us, and we want to listen to him. Well, how else are we going to walk? How else are we going to walk in a way that uh, God calls us to hear, calls Isaiah uh, to hear? Verse 13, honor, honor him. To honor God as holy. This is in verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. So the Lord of hosts, this is his army name, so to speak. His commander-in-chief name. The Lord of hosts, the one with all the power who can defeat all the armies of the world. The one who has celestial heavenly soldiers supernaturally at his command, he's the one you should honor as holy. Now, to honor God is to orient your life, your behavior, your thoughts, your attitude. To honor him is to orient all of who we are to set him apart as holy so he is separate than us, and to give him, and this is the next part in verse 13, let him be your fear, let him be your dread. You see, there's a reorientation of the fear. Instead of fearing what people regularly fear, we should orient our fear towards God. 
And this is the Old Testament concept of the fear of the Lord. So you see that pop up throughout the Old Testament. And this means not necessarily being afraid of God, but giving him the reverence and the respect that are due to him because of who he is. So his word then has more weight and we should listen closely to it over and above the so-called experts and prognosticators in our age. We should listen to him, reorient all our life that all we do gives honor and glory and worship to him, letting our life reflect that we, the opinion that we care about is God's opinion, not man's, not people's. So the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now this is illustrated for us in Jesus's words, Luke chapter 12. Take you to the New Testament briefly, Luke 12, verses 4 through 7. Luke 12, 4 through 7, I t Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So you hear in Jesus' words in Luke 12, 4 and 5, the same type of command here in Isaiah 8 that the Lord of all the things you fear he is the one to fear because he has authority not just to kill but to cast into hell now in the immediate context of Luke 12 you got to love the next two verses that follow Luke 12 4 and 5 verse 6 it seems out of place verse 6 are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. In other words, in this concept here of God being the one who we should really fear in this tremendous power to cast even into hell, what does Jesus assure his disciples and followers of? God's love and concern for them. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? That the infinite power of God, which not only kills but casts into hell, that Lord, that God shows concern and care even for the sparrows. And then maybe a passage of scripture more relevant to, to me than to you. Why even, just where I'm at in my life, where even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. That the Lord, maybe in the least important part of our body, the Lord is able through his sovereign power to know down to the specifics, the number of hairs on our head and even their diminishment. God knows. What an assurance. 
that in the midst of this tremendous power portrayed, him you shall fear. What are we told? He's the one that's concerned for us. And Jesus, one more passage, just as we're back on the way to Isaiah 8, uh, because I love this and, and we need to hear this. Isaiah chapter 42 because see, this is really about this, this walking in the way that God has for us is really about there are competing voices. Thus, the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. But there are competing voices in our lives that we listen to. And there are competing fears. Instead of fearing God, him you shall honor, there are competing other fears that we spend time with. And foretold for us here in Isaiah 42 is the suffering servant, Jesus, who would come. And in Isaiah 42, we're told, Behold my servant whom I, I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So the idea here is in Isaiah 42, 1, is Jesus will bring justice. He will set everything right and we're assured of that, justice to the nations, in other words, to the farthest extent. And this isn't difficult for Jesus. How do I know that? Look in Isaiah 42, 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And then here it is. The love and concern of the Heavenly Father, Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know, some of you have experienced, all of us really at one time or another have experienced very difficult things in our life. Maybe we've been sinned against. Somebody has done something terrible to us. Maybe we've been sinned against or through our own sin or stupidity, we've sinned against others and there's consequences and difficulties in relationships. Maybe some of us have, have really suffered in that way or suffered physically, just from the fact we live in a fallen world and our bodies break down and we have suffered. And you might think, Isaiah 42, 3, we're like a bruised reed, but Jesus isn't going to break us. You know, do you have some bruised reeds? You got, uh, back at our house, you know, God trimmed the trees a couple weeks ago, didn't he? And we've got one high up, oh, it's just hanging by a thread. It's just hanging by a thread. And we're told here, oh, if you're just hanging by a thread, Jesus isn't going to break you. If you've been through something difficult. You know, think about, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you'd have a loose tooth. And the loose tooth is just sort of hanging by a thread of gum. And, you know, of course, my parents. We need to pull that tooth out. And I'm like, no, I'm brushing it. You know, I'm talking and it's sort of flipping around in my mouth. And my parents want to take it out. And what we're told here, if you're just hanging on like that, a faintly burning wick, can you imagine you, you blow out a candle and it's got that ember on the end of the wick and it's just smoldering? And Jesus protects that faintly burning wick. He will not quench. We're told at the end of 
Verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. We're assured again that if we don't have justice in this life, we're going to get it in the next life. He will bring it forth. He will do it. Isaiah 42, 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. He's got plenty in the tank to make it happen until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands there would be the furthest point. This is our Savior. And as we honor God as holy, as we fear him, and you think about this tremendous power he has at his disposal, he uses it for our good, and he gently calls us and, and protects us. And this is part of his mercy towards Isaiah, and by extension to us, part of his love is he's warning and he's telling, this is what's going to happen. Here's how you can stand strong, even when you're surrounded, and he will take care of us. And here's, here's the thing, the hard things in our life, whatever their cause, speak loudly to us. But God speaks louder still. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me. And can we together as God's people, as we worship, be reminded of how God speaks to us? That in those hard things in our life, in the trauma, in the hardships, in the sin, that God is speaking, that we might experience his wonderful grace, that he has this care in concern for us. He even knows how I'm upgrading my forehead to a five head. And maybe, maybe I'm going to get to a six head. Honor God as holy. And let us reflect that kind of gentleness in our ministry and in our life together as a church that when we see the bruised reed, that tooth hanging just by a thread, that we walk with each other in those times. Honor God is holy. Don't fear what they fear. Fear Him. You know, in 2024, an election is coming, evidently. This is what I'm told. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to freak out like everyone else? Or are we as a church going to pull together and say, we will not trust in earthly schemes or fear what they fear. Fear is one of the first and biggest motivators politicians pull out. They know it works. And we're told here, reorient our fear to God. Well, what are the results? I mean, we're talking about walking in the way that Isaiah's called to, called to here. What are the results of this? And if you blink, you miss it. It's in verse 14 and 15. The good part, don't blink because you'll miss it. He will become a sanctuary. It's fast, isn't it? Because what sets us up here in verse 14 are there's two ways. Either he's going to be a sanctuary or the other thing. And the sanctuary there carries with it this idea of refuge and safety. And he will become a sanctuary to you. We are a safety-obsessed culture, aren't we? Why is that? Well, we live in a litigious society. And so if you 
don't do the right things, it's going to cost you financially. But I got to tell you, I grew up, I didn't, I didn't grow up in that world. This was my seatbelt. My mom. Do you know, and you know, the car was so big, she couldn't even reach me. That's our seat. And you know, it's not strong. That is not a, that doesn't hold much. But what I'm getting at is, you know, I grew up in this magnificent world that wasn't so obsessed with safety like we are. And certainly there is cause to be concerned about safety. Don't try this at home. Wear a helmet, wear your seatbelt, all that good stuff. Sure. But have God as your sanctuary first and foremost. Have him as your place of safety. You know, you can do all this stuff to try to keep yourself safe, but don't ignore this God who gives you the kind of sanctuary we all really long for. And if you do these things, he will become a sanctuary. But what's the other side of it? If you're not going to do those things, and this is part of God's mercy and grace to warn people don't go this way. Verse 14, a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You're either going to have God as your sanctuary, your place of refuge, a place where we can be calm and at peace and at rest because we are trusting in Him and abiding in Him, or He is going to be a stumbling a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. He's going to upset that which you and your earthly power plan and provide. And we're told here in verse 15, many shall stumble on it. And that's actually an announcement of good news because it's a reminder. Many will stumble on it, yes, but not all of them will. There will be a remnant faithful to God. They shall fall, we read at the end of verse 15 and be broken. And that takes us back to verse 9, the futility of resisting God. Be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. And here, God is portrayed as the hunter, the predator, the aggressor. Because if you reject his will and his ways, that's who God will be to you. But we are invited to have God as our sanctuary our place of safety. And that happens when by God's grace, through what Christ has done for us, we are reconciled to Him. Our identity is found in Christ. We are redeemed. We are no longer at enmity with God. Therefore, we can trust Him. And we can not fear the things of this world if heaven is ours through Jesus Christ. And then we honor God as holy. Him you shall honor. Let him be your fear. And he will be our place of safety, the sanctuary. Let's pray together. God, how thankful we are that you do not leave us without instructions, but instead guide us and lead us, that indeed we would be at peace with you. Help us then as your people to do as Isaiah did, stood apart from a disobedient society and generation. And he walked with you. 
and help us to walk with you and trusting in you and fearing you and honoring you that we might together as your people be the kind of people who know you as our sanctuary, as our refuge, as a place of calm and peace because we know your power is expressed for our good. And Lord, by so doing, would you get the honor and the glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen.